God, I want to thank you for the way you move among your people, that we, we see your love in real ways. God, I pray that you'd give us more opportunities to show your love out in the world, outside of these walls, that we can be Jesus to people who may not know you. And so this morning, I ask you that I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so we're working through chapter 17 of John, and it's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Last week, we did the first, I don't know, a couple, uh, couple verses, 20 verses or so, and I kind of just grabbed this one part out of it. And I was going to kind of mine that for some other nuggets, but I decided just to kind of move on through to the second part of the prayer, because the second part is, it holds a lot of weight for us as believers of, of Christ. It holds a lot of weight because it's Jesus praying for all of you thousands of years ago. Jesus is praying for people in 2011. He's praying for people in 2111. The nights before he's ready to be crucified. In his godness, in his divinity, Jesus knows you. He knows about your struggles. He knows about your gifts. He knows about your talents. He knows about your faith journey and all of the twists and turns it's taken you to get where you are today. Jesus knows you. And back 2,000 years ago, he prayed for you. Before you were a Jesus follower, Jesus prayed for you, for me. And so we're going to read the whole prayer and then we're just going to kind of go through a few things. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may self I myself may be in them. A lot going on here, so let's just take the first verse. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their, their message. This is, this one little verse, it's, it's an important verse out of this whole prayer. It's something that, that we should spend some time just kind of thinking about. Jesus is praying for all of the people who will come to faith through the message of the disciples. And the message of the disciples is the message of Jesus. And the message of Jesus is the message of his Father. Now, have you ever stopped for a minute to think about how that message, how the gospel got from way over there to here? Jesus was not American. 
He was not Native American. He was not European. He did not come over on the Mayflower. Jesus was Middle Eastern. And in his day, he was considered a holy man, a son of, the son of God. He was considered a rabbi, a teacher. He was considered a revolutionary, a heretic. He was considered a criminal. In fact, that's the way he would die, as a criminal. Have you ever thought about how the message all the way there finally got all the way to us? See, Jesus had this little group of people, disciples, apostles, and he rose from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven. But before that, he told the boys, go out. Go out and share this good news. And you know what they did? They went out and they began to share this good news. They began to tell people about this Jesus and about a new way, a new way to live your life, a new way to walk in harmony with God. And and those people began to tell other people. And those people began to tell other people. And this thing started to spread city to city, town to town, village to village. The word got out. But then, like, the government, the government got involved. The government didn't like this whole movement about this, this, this way, this new revolution that was taking place that began to take root in the people. And so they started to persecute these Christians. In fact, it got so bad at one point that Christians were dying because of their faith. They were dying because of what they believed. Tortured. Oppression. Death. And all they had to do was say, okay, I give. I don't believe that anymore. I'm done. But they didn't. And they were killed. I can imagine Jesus praying for them. That that as they were faced with a life and death situation, that they would say, no, I believe in Jesus Christ. And And he prayed for them that they would have strength to face the things that they would face for his name. And you know what was funny about all this? Not funny, haha, but funny, funny. That the more oppression that took place, the more, the more suffering that took place, the more people would talk about this thing. And the more people that would talk about this thing, the more, more people started to believe in this thing. And the more people started to believe, it started to go out and spread more and more. And more people started to live it. I can imagine Jesus praying for those who took part Years and years after that, and something in, in this very popular Christian movement called the Crusades. Yes, that was a shining moment in Christian history for evangelism. They gave you, they gave you a, a choice. They said, convert to Christianity or we're going to kill you. These were the Crusades, all in the name of Jesus. I guess, I guess that's one way to grow a church. I'm not quite sure how seeker-sensitive that really is. But it's one way of doing it. I can imagine Jesus in this moment as he's praying that he's, he's thinking about how, how could they get it so wrong? How could they think the life that I've lived and that I've, that I've lived as an example for them and the things that I taught, how can they possibly get that and think the crusades were actually a good idea? I can imagine Jesus praying for the people who were witnessing this who maybe began to lose their faith or wanted nothing to do with faith because they were watching what people of so-called faith were doing. And so he prayed. 
I can imagine him praying for the people that would be involved in all the wars, again, between Christian and Muslim and Jew. All the people that would fight in the name of Jesus and kill in the name of Jesus. Could he be praying, could he have been praying that that true faith, true faith would hold out in all of that hatred and all of that death? And then somewhere along this timeline, some people decided that they didn't like the oppression over there. And they got on a boat. And they got on a boat because they wanted to find political freedom. And they wanted to find religious freedom. And they traveled to this new continent. And by the time they got to this new continent, they found other people living on this continent. And they decided that they were going to try to share their faith. But these people really didn't want anything to do with their faith. So methodically, they just started to kind of lie to them, steal from them, eventually kill them. They brought all their really cool diseases over to them. And so they kind of died out on their own, all in the name of Jesus. I can think, I can imagine Jesus praying that, that faith, true faith would take root in this new continent, that they would know the true God. And then there was a time where on this this new continent that they were burning people because they thought they were witches. And what do you do with witches? You burn witches, right? Some of you got that. Some of you don't, and that's okay. Innocent people, innocent people were dying in the name of Jesus. And then for whatever reason, we got this idea that we can buy and sell humans. That they were no longer human, they were property. And they were less than human. And we can steal them from their country and bring them here and sell them and buy them and trade them and treat them as subhuman, all based on a misinterpretation of the Bible. Imagine Jesus praying for them they would not lose their faith. And somehow through all of this, this good news stayed somewhere in this good news. And and maybe, maybe it was God answering the prayer of Christ. And people would tell people. And people were telling more people. And so on, and so on. And so on. And the word was spreading. And the word was getting out. And thousands of years later, do you get that? Thousands of years later, someone told you. And now you have come to a faith in Jesus Christ. Through all of the yuck, through all of the darkness, yes, there were some good things in that history, but there was a lot of bad. A lot of bad that took place in the name of Jesus. Somehow, it spread throughout the centuries. And you, you heard it. And Jesus prayed that when you heard that message, when you heard that word, something in your soul would be quickened. Something would have happened and you would respond to it. Thousands of years ago, Jesus prayed for you. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. 
may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus asked that all of them may be one. All of them. The word all in the Greek means all, as in all of them. It's really simple. Jesus is praying for all of the believers that they would be one, just like Jesus and the Father are one. There's this deep intimacy that's taking place. It goes beyond anything that we can imagine in our human definition of intimacy between Jesus and the Father. And he wants us to be part of that. That's that oneness between God, between Jesus, and the believers. And there's a reason for it. And there's a reason for he wants us to be one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That the world would believe that God the Father sent Jesus the Son, and Jesus the Son is the Messiah of the world. The unity of believers, the unity of us, the unity of Christian churches around the world has life and death consequences. Do you get that? Life and death consequences. This is, this is about a, a, not an organizational unity. This is about something that's deeply spiritual, deeply mystical, and it, and it's, and ex, and expresses itself in the real world. And so the world can see it. The world can know it. The world can experience it. Take notice or take notice if it's not there in the first place. Whatever, it will have a tremendous, tremendous influence on the outside world. Okay, so what does this unity thing look like? I mean, what's it, what's it kind of... What's it kind of feel? I mean, you know, can we put our finger on it? Can we identify it in the church? That's a great question. I'm glad you guys are full of great questions. So let's review. It's always good to review. From my perspective, I believe that the whole unity thing in the church, and now we're talking big church, you know, just Christian church, capital C, the whole unity thing in the church and in believers would be much easier if all of the churches, and let's just say in the United States, all the churches in the United States imitated our model of church. Okay, it would ju- things would just be much easier if, if they worshiped the way we worshiped and if they believed in the same things that, that we believed in. If, if they dress correctly like we dress here, things would be much easier. If, if, they, if they embrace the art of tattooing like we embrace it here, or at least the, the, the spiritual people here anyway, if, if they were to do that, then wouldn't it be much easier if all of the churches looked like us? I think yes. But the reality of it is, it's not like that in the real world. There are differences. I don't know why, but there are differences in churches, even within our area, stylistic differences of, of dress and worship and church and community. There's, there's contemporary, there's traditional, there's non-traditional, there's seeker-sensitive, there's non-seeker-sensitive, there's Oasian. And then when you go into denominations, there's Methodist and there's Lutheran and there's Congregational and there's Episcopalian and there's non-denominational and there's E-free, and there's Baptist, and there's, I don't know, what else? Catholic, we can put those in there. They believe in Jesus. 
And even within the denominations, the churches do things differently. And we go back to the difference in style and methodology and preaching and music. And the list can go on and on and on. And then, OMG, and then, the separator of all separators in the church. You know what it is? Theology. Nothing like a good old-fashioned argument in theology to separate churches. You know that thing where you try to study the Scriptures, figure out what they say, figure out what, what it really means, figure out how to live it? Theology separates churches big time. And the reason why it separates is not, it's not in the differences because of the differences in and of themselves. The reason why it separates us is because everyone is right and everyone else is wrong. My theology is correct and your theology is wrong. Well, maybe not yours because you're here, but their theology over there, it's wrong. And it's my job, it's my ego's need to make sure that I go to them, tell them that they're wrong, try to convince them of the truth, the real truth, the correct truth, which happens to be, in this case, my truth, try to get them to believe that, and if they don't, I'm nothing to do with them. Because they don't, they don't get it. They don't understand it. Now, some of you have heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again. No person, not a single person, just lives their life according to what the Bible says. We all interpret what the Bible says, and we try to live according to that interpretation. Yes, there are some really misleading, bad interpretations, and there are some very good ones. But that means that all of us, everyone, I don't care if you're Billy Graham or Dennis Ritchie, all of us, everyone in between, we don't get it all correct. We don't have the full picture of who and what God is. I mean, we try really hard to get there, and I think we do well many times to figure it out, but we don't have the whole thing 100%. In fact, it's only God that does. God knows the truth and all its fullness and all its depth and all of its beauty. We don't. We don't get it. And even if, and even if there's, there's a, a popular theology across the churches, something that's not necessarily black and white in the scripture, you know, Jesus is the son of God, that's black and white, you can argue until the cows come home. I'm not budging on that one. But those things that we tend to interpret, those things that are kind of lay in that gray area, and we say one thing and they say another thing, but, but it could be this teaching, this, this idea that has just kind of been taken universally across the board. Guess what? There is a chance that we may be wrong. And it's arrogant, arrogant for us to think that we may not be. We always have to come at our theology with humility with humility and understanding that we don't have all of the answers. We do our best. I don't think there's any wackos in here. Well, there might be a few, but you keep your voices down. That's good. I don't think there's a lot of us in here that are just so way out there in it. We do our best, but we don't have all the answers. Now, here's something that I've learned. 
in my life. And it's good that I learn things because the more I learn in this life, the more I realize that I need to learn more in this life. We've used this term called progressive sanctification. It's a really cool theological term to describe the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. We're all on this journey to become like Jesus. And so every day, hopefully every day, one step forward, one step forward, a little bit more, a little bit more, we are becoming more like Jesus. We are all in a work in progress. We are in process. We're on the journey. Okay, now stay with me because we're going to get someplace eventually, but it's going to take us a little while to get there. I have been studying the Bible for the purpose of preaching and teaching since 2004. So that's about seven years I have been in the scriptures for, for me to come before you and to teach and preach. Now, when you study the scriptures in that light, you come at it from a, a little bit a different of an angle. You spend more time researching, you read some commentaries, you read what the scholarship says, you spend time just thinking and meditating on it, you spend more time in prayer. And so, so there's this process that you go through. But I'm in my seventh year of doing this, trying to figure out something to take from these words, the words of God, and make them relevant for my life, and then pass on, hopefully, that relevance to you. Okay. There's been times that I've gone back to those sermons in 2004, 2005, not very often, but I've gone back there and I've listened to some of them and just be happy you weren't with me in 2004, 2005, at least I think so. I was like, really? Anyway, and I've listened to those things and here's what I have found out. I am on a journey of progressive theology. See, some of the things that I taught, some of the things that I preached have changed. My, my ideas have changed. My theology has changed. I still have my core beliefs. If you look at our website, we have our core beliefs. These are the mountains that I am willing to die on. These are non-negotiable for me in our church. But there are some things that, that I'm like, wow, I, I, I just I don't believe that anymore. I think my theology is becoming more reformed as I'm getting older. Meaning I, I'm, I'm looking at the sovereignty of God in, in a whole new and, and different and exciting way for me. Was I wrong then? Maybe. Did I intentionally try to mislead people? Absolutely not. It was just where I was on my journey as a Christ follower. And I trust that God will work through my humanness. Now, this means that every person each one of us is on a progressive journey. We, we have a progressive intellect, a progressive spirituality, progressive morality, progressive ethics, maturity, and theology, the very thing that separates churches. Spiritually, theologically, I am not the same person I was seven years ago. And that's, that's a good thing. And I hope, I hope that God gives me a lot of years with you all and that you get the 60 or 70-year-old Dennis way in the future, that, that, that he would move me from just being some wise guy to actually a wise man and that you can, you can get that part of me. But we are all on this progressive journey of life and everything changes, everything's in process. We are truly shaped by our life's experiences. The rabbis would say that we are a sum, the sum of all of our yesterday. 
So, what's this mean? I told you we're going to get there. At some point in the life of the church, in the life of Jesus' followers, church to church, denomination to denomination, at some point we have to look past our differences, even embrace our differences, and become united, become one. Come to the understanding, come to the realization that we are all in process. We are all on this journey. And instead of fighting, instead of constantly disagreeing, instead of talking ill about each other, we can actually sit down and have something called conversation. That's where words come out of your mouth and the other person hears them, not leaving biting messages on Facebook, not sending a text message. We can actually have conversation with each other, with other churches that believe different things than us. And it's okay. Because we're in progress. And guess what? So, so are they. Dare I say that we can actually have our differences and love each other? You know, the patience and the kindness and the not boasting, love each other? The church has to come together. It has to come together. Because if it doesn't, I'm afraid that the world won't know who sent Jesus. As long as I need to be right, and there's people out there that are definitely wrong. As long as I need to be right, then someone needs to be wrong. And as long as I need, I have the need, I have the feeling that I need to correct them, to make sure that they understand that they are wrong and I am right, we as the church will remain divided. We as the church will be our little pocket of believers and their little pocket of believers and their little pocket of believers. And we don't talk to them because they drink beer. My goodness. They, have, they don't have tattoos. How could they even think about not getting a tattoo? I'm just harping on that a little bit, but you know, that's kind of a joke, so don't take it too seriously. Kind of. <laughs> it's, it's this dualistic thinking that we, that we subscribe to. It's either or. And, and I understand, I understand. Some things have to be either or. I get that. Some things in our theology, some things in this Bible, they are either or. But there is more out there that is both and than we care to to admit to each other. That could be both and. And it's our, it's our arrogance and our pride that keep us from engaging that. If we just embrace humility, we're going to get there. We will get there. There's a difference in me speaking to someone what I believe to be true than me trying to prove to someone that I am right and they are wrong. It's not only the way you use your words, but it's a heart condition. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, what about just blatantly wrong, bad theology? Somebody that just does not get it. Let's use the Westboro Baptist Church as an example. That's the church down south 
Um, they're really crazy. They go to uh, soldiers' funerals. They picket those funerals. They chant their, their hate slogans. Uh, it's, it's, my belief is they are 100% wrong. Without a doubt, they have definitely not read what I see in the Bible and, and interpreted, I believe, wrong. And it would be very easy for me to treat them with the same anger and hatred that they treat other people with. That would be very easy for me. Eye for an eye, right? But you see, there's, there's a better way. There's, there's a different way. It's not an easy way, but it is a better way. It's... It's the Jesus way. Eye for an eye is not the answer. We don't have to be BFFs with them. We don't even have to like what they're doing. But our response can't come from our desire to make sure we put them in their place. Because the scriptures are clear. Leave room for God's judgment. Leave room for God's justice. He is going to eventually take care of them as he will eventually take care of us and he will correct us where we are wrong too. We don't have the corner on being right. Look what what Jesus will say. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus has imparted upon us his glory. The glory that was given to him by the Father has now been given to us. He has given it to us. How cool is that? You can walk around hearing the angels going, because you walk around with the glory of the Lord on you, in you, around you. But you know where the true glory of Christ actually can be found? It's found in his path of living humbly, openly, and serving others. And that all culminates when he dies on the cross. That's the glory of Christ. And he has given us that same path to follow, the path of humility, the path of service, the path of giving, the path of surrender. That's where the glory of Christ, that's where it's the foundation is. That's where, that's where we need to be. I don't know where that path will take some of you if you truly live it. And I know that sometimes that path is not going to be easy. It might not even be fun. But Jesus says that's the path that's worth it. That's the path that has meaning. Could you imagine churches churches adopting an egoless faith? That they just try to live the way they're interpreting the Bible the best that they can working out their salvation with, with fear and trembling, working, working it out with, with humility, and then being open to dialogue 
being open to working together with other churches, being open to, to doing things for the good and the glory of the kingdom of God and not trying to build their own little kingdom. Jesus has given us his glory for a reason, and it's to bring us together, to bring us to perfect unity. Perfect unity. You know, the size of the church, the size of a church, with all its bells and whistles and books and music and cool things and fog machines and strobe lights and all of that stuff is not going to impress the world. But a inward spiritual unity that expresses itself in a common mission in a common message. Man, if we can get that right, if we can get a hold of that, it's then the world will know who sent Christ. You know, in the Jewish tradition, uh, they believe, or one, one vein of Judaism believes that the Messiah will finally come when every Jew on this earth celebrates the Sabbath on the same Sabbath correctly. Once the Jewish people get that, everybody is celebrating on that one Sabbath and they celebrate the Sabbath correctly, the Messiah will come. What if, what if Jesus, what if he's waiting so all the churches finally get it and they finally come together as one. And finally the world will know who sent him. And then, then he'll come back. Just a theory. Pray. So Lord, I want to thank you for your grace and mercy. I want to thank you that we don't have all the answers. We don't even have all the questions. But God, I pray that you give us as a community the opportunity to come alongside with other churches and, and just help, Lord. And we would forget about our, our pride. We'd forget about our ego. We would forget about just all the things that hinder bringing us together as people of God. Teach us, Lord, I ask that you be gentle, but if we need a firm kick in that spot, then give us that kick. Praise us in the name of Jesus. Amen.